Hey guys, in this episode of Thinking Caps, we tackle privacy, but not so much the privacy of what we're all going into and the hurdles we face in the future. We listen through the lens of Tom Flanagan, former EVP of Leo Burnett, and he gives us the, the breakdown of how privacy hit us in the past, how we've dealt with it, and has great examples. So don't fret, privacy is nothing new. We've dealt with it before, and here's a great point of view on that. Hey guys, welcome back to Thinking Caps. This is a very special episode. We do not have Richard Jones today. I am Tim Glom, VP of Content at Cheetah Digital, and I have with me a longtime great friend, Tom Flanagan. Tom, thanks for coming in. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for getting dressed up for me today. Yeah, t-shirt and a thinking cap. Hey, listen, people, the reason uh, this is a very important podcast to me, it's our first guest in the Thinking Code, uh, Thinking Caps um, series, but also it's important to me. Because Tom is the one who really got me into brand marketing, brought me into Denver, got me into the whole content and big brand uh, play. So huge mentor to me. But Tom is a vet here, like from all sides of the fence. I could talk for days about the reasons that you need to listen to Tom. You need to know Tom. You need to follow Tom. Tom Flanagan, LinkedIn, Dive Bar Beer on Instagram, which we'll get into is really cool. But Tom is a guy who, you know, decades past started the first ever kind of real e-commerce site for uh, AIG insurance. He was there um, ton brand leader, brand marketing, brand building. He was tasked with opening the first ever Lear Burnett uh, New York city office recently, a few years ago, and sits on all sides of content, technology, uh, brand storytelling and everything. So you're going to learn a lot. This is going to be a good one. Tom, thanks for coming. Did you bring any beer? You know, I was told there'd be beer here for me. I don't want to get this off on the wrong foot, but... Um, oh, yeah. okay. We <laughs> will hire an intern, and then we will have that intern bring us beer. Deal. Well, we're going to get into the beer uh, topic, but I want to get right into a meat and potato. I want to get people right off the sure. top, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about you and your history. Um, but I want to get right off the top, because our audience has an issue with privacy. Cheetah Digital is in the privacy business, whether people understand that or not. Privacy is the key word right now. It's the buzzword everybody's being held accountable for privacy of consumer data, specifically what we like to talk about. But you, being a brand marketer at large ad agencies, inside of brands, still consulting big brands. I mean, we're talking large brands, people, global brands, Samsung, a Volkswagen bunch. I won't get down the list, but you have a point of view. And I want to hear, what do you think brand marketers are doing right now behind their own closed doors? Nobody knows. What are they doing? Are they pulling their hair out about privacy? Are they trying to figure out like, how to manage this, what kind of technology, what people, what resources, like what do you think's going on behind closed doors? Well, you know, first of all, there's change in the wind, right? So, you know, with change, uh, smart companies, smart brands uh, understand that, you know, th there could be new opportunities. And if they don't adapt to change the right way, um, there's going to be big problems. In this sure. case, there's going to be massive problems, uh, including fines. So to me, um, it's mission critical that the brands understand what's happening with these privacy changes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and ultimately the word compliance strikes fear into the yeah, hearts of, yeah. of all marketers and they, they scramble to understand how to become compliant. So to me, this is a compliance story as much as a privacy one, because that's in, re in reality where it starts. It doesn't start with, oh, what's privacy mean? It starts with how can we become compliant? Um, and, you know, we've lived through this before and we might want to talk about COPA and some other things. Um, I've certainly lived through it before. Um, so um, so to, to answer your question, so typically the company first starts to the legal department or to e external legal resources. 
uh, and the lawyers sit there and and think about the new yeah. beach houses they're going to buy. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but but seriously, it's it's important because there's millions of dollars that are at stake year in and year out here. Um, but so when we talk about compliance and brands in, in general, um, and and you look at you look back through history again with with Cope and some other things. Um, there's some interesting things. For example, the, uh, the FCC um, passed a law, I believe it was in the 90s, that that told that really enforced networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, yep. et cetera, to have to program at least three hours, I believe it's three hours, of educational and informational Sure. programming yep. every week. And some of that still exists today. I mean, the, the, the big watchdogs are making sure that public programming and even down to like local programming makes its way into ad spaces and things like that. Two minutes, an hour, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and what happened was, um, again, opportunity was in the wind, right? So, uh, a company called Litton Entertainment, um, realized that there was a business to be had here. So they went to the networks and they said, um, they said, you know, not only will we make sure you're compliant, but we'll create that programming, the actual content itself, um, that will keep you, that will keep you compliant. compliant yeah. So quality programming, yep. et cetera. Um, and then fast forward to now, uh, Litton is is now owned by Hearst Television, and they maintain compliance for all these companies. They produce all that content oh. that, that you see. Um, but again, it's, this all res, oh. was, res, you know, came out of resulted, came out of compliance. Yeah, came it, out of it, it you, have to, you have to comply. So, the, got it. So, it, Litton is really a service to all these other networks that have to fill that compliance gap and, and check that box. So, in this case, content compliance, not just privacy compliance. Yep. Um, but it, you know, let, let's talk about COPA. So, um, to, today, to most CMOS, when we t first of all, let's talk about privacy again. So, they first turn to the lawyers. But to most CMOS, this is a digital issue privacy, right? So they're turning to their digital agencies mm -hmm. to help me figure this out. What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, and the digital agencies in turn are trying to yeah, uh, are get wrap their heads around it, of course, um, and get new resources in the door that, that, that can um, that, that can help. So so right now I see a lot of CMOs and when I talk to them about it, it it's a mix between the legal department and, and their digital agencies. Okay. Um, but but again, flashback to COPA because I remember living through through COPA. I think that law went to effect around 2000. And give for everyone who's watching, give it gives the short like rundown. So so COPA is the Children's uh, Online Privacy Protection Act. But just like with with changes in 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 this privacy law, there was a change in privacy law there. So, um, you know, all the brands that I was working with at the time it had to understand well how do we how do we quickly become compliant with this yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and not get sued? Okay. Sure. Um, and you know. Uh, Really, what I saw happen at that point is that brands turned to their companies that were running their sweepstakes and other things because yep. that the sweepstakes thing was a big thing with Copa. So, so the brand would say, "Hey, look, I entrust you, right? Whether you're McDonald's or whether yeah. you're a smaller brand, to help me become compliant with this new with this new Copa yep. thing." So, again, I think we're seeing that today with the digital agencies. Okay, that's really interesting. You didn't see it, and just before we walked into the studio, we dropped a podcast that we recorded yesterday where we talk about uh, Martin Searle, who, you know, S4 and his agencies are, are getting in and saying, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to get compliant. We're going to get the tech and we're going to get the, the know-how it's almost like they're going back to college to figure out what does zero party first party data mean? Because they've been using third party and now they have to change their services to, you know, help out these brands. These brands don't know what to do. So, and not only that, they realize there's a, ginormous load of money to be made if you can get people compliant. I, I'm going to ask you a follow-up real quick though. Yeah. Um, 
put your brand hat back on because I think one of the largest issues, which we also dropped in our last podcast, if you didn't see it, go to episode two, is legislation isn't there. Right now, all the legislation is at a state level. So if you're a brand, you've got to deal with California, you've got to deal with Rhode Island, you've got to deal with all these different disparate states and their laws, whereas, you know, Senator Gillibrand in New York is trying to propose a watchdog. I think a lot of people are proposing it. She actually has legislation she's putting forth. So brand marketing hat, 20 second answer. Would you rather deal with one devil or 50 different devils for, from a compliance standpoint? Because right now there is no, it's like, it's like weed. It's a wild, wild west. Like, uh, we're not quite sure. Which one would you want to deal with? One devil, um, again, because I'm going back to COPA, because uh, you know, COPA was the same thing, right? Yeah. So like Florida had these crazy COPA compliant laws. And they still, they have much more stringent sweepstakes laws right now than any other state, or except for DC and New York borough. Yeah, but it, I mean, isn't it funny? It takes a law to make a brand do the right thing. <laughs> so, that, you know, there's a lot to be said there. Um, but but the other thing to be said is, again, well, I don't want to beat this COPA thing to death, but yeah. um, it, it's, it just it gives me such flashbacks. Um, one of the things that we learned is um, is uh, becoming compliant was one thing, but remaining compliant sure. was a completely another thing. Yeah. So for small brands, the, I mean, this was a huge problem because it was it would cost six figures yeah, yeah, a year. The resources, to, right. yeah. even just like understand what compliance means, let alone actually getting compliant. So so I don't know, but you, you know, in your experience, you know, with, with the privacy, because you guys are experts in this stuff, and I'm certainly not yet. I need to be. Sure. Um, um, it's going to be. I I imagine it's going to be extremely expensive for brands to adhere to this, and then and, oh. and then and see. And, well, the good news there is uh, companies like Cheetah. You know, we're putting technology in place that um, helps get them over. The way I've been telling people is, hey, look, there's a street fight that's happening. It, your your brand has to drive through it at some point. When the legislation comes down, they say, this is it. The A's, the B's, the C's, this is what you have to do. GDPR happened two years ago. So when those brands have to drive through that street fight, they better be prepared. And what Cheetah's trying to do is say, hey, look, we know if we collect permission-based data right now from people, forget all this Cambridge Analytica and grabbing data from here and there and third-party and cookies and all that. If you collect the right data now directly from John Doe, Jane Doe, your, your consumers, you can almost get in a helicopter and just go over that street fight. Like stay out of it. Be compliant before the laws are even built. That's kind of, you know, where we're trying to take our clients. So. Interesting. Yeah, that's smart. Makes sense. Well, let's segue there because I know you have some thoughts. Um, you're an agency guy. You've been at large agencies. You've controlled hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And I don't want to know how much. Um, you definitely have swayed some of my favorite uh, beer brands, some of my favorite car brands, some of my favorite, uh, you know, brands. The third party, everyone's talking about the, the, the death of the third party and the cookie and the tracking. And the cookies aren't going away, but what's going away is your ability to identify who that cookie is and, and what that cookie means for. Um, what's the scariest thing for a brand right now with the death of uh, tracking these cookies and the, and the intelligence they were getting behind them? Well, well you think about cookies, right? So uh, think about cookies in real life. Right? Mm. They're, they're, they're full of stuff that's bad for you, right? Oh, come on now. So <laughs> they should have called them beers. <laughs> but ultimately, cookies can make you fat and lazy, right? Um, is that, yeah, uh, no, too, that's, that's too great. Deep, too that, controversial, right? That, no, that's great. That's smart. Well, I think as marketers, that, that's part of what's happened, quite frankly. So I think the mm. scariest thing is to kind of return to, um, to, to really the discipline of what marketing is all about, right? Um, so I started my career at a time, of course, when the internet was just beginning. 
I know it's hard to believe, but um, <laughs> you look so thank good. You, thank you. I was waiting for that. You know, you it's go. about time. It's, it's about time. Yeah, it's there you on this go. Show. Um, but and you know, but guess what? Yeah, hundreds of years before the internet, of course, there there are great brands built great relationships with consumers yeah. without spying on them, right? Yeah. Um, by listening to them, by understanding them, mm. by 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 innovating around their lifestyles, and um. I mean, there was even a thing called focus groups, believe it or not, back in the day. <laughs> and 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 a well-run focus group, you would get genius insight out of it. A poorly run focus group, which most of them were, were, were horrible yeah. because it's the way you ask questions in focus groups, et cetera. Sure. But when I think back at those things, it's really, again, it goes back to uh, great brands like, I mean, huge brands like Leo Burnett had a hand, of course, and in, in, in a lot of these back in the day, Kellogg's, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, P&G, et cetera. You know, no cookies, no fat, yeah. just smart insights hmm. and um, and understanding the consumer. So 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 I think that, that you know, um, the, the hardest thing is to kind of relearn what we already know is that everything in our business is about people and their behaviors. And so it's our job to understand, to change and to measure those behaviors. Now, when cookies came along and, and a lot of other technologies, it helped us kind of cheat at that. Right? Got it. We got fat. Right. And so, um, so returning. So the good news to me is, um, it's a kind of relearning, like I said, rethinking what we already know about, about how we deal with, with and consumers. I hate the word consumers. I like to say people, right? Sure. They're people. So, so, um, so th I think that's the biggest lesson here is, it, and, and the biggest blessing too, it gives us a minute to stop, think, look back and say, okay, let's get back to, you know, we, treating people like people, yep. not like consumers and not having to essentially spy on them to understand them. Yeah. No, that's great. And so I like the way that you put that. We got fat on it. We got lazy. We let technology do the work. And, and frankly, you know, yeah, we just we took our heads out of it. Okay, cool. So I want to move on to, into kind of content and the consumer and control. Like 15 years ago, you know, when you had me uh, coming into the fold here in a, in, a, in a kind of a brand marketing perspective, content was king, right? It was all about content. But at the same time, we were saying, hey, man, the consumer's kind of in control here, in control. And the internet was growing and video was starting to grow in consumables. I mean, the explosion that you and I both witnessed, like, is unbelievable. But I'm going to ask you, because I think you'll have a great perspective on this. Is the consumer truly in control in an age of cookies and cookies dying and privacy and everyone beating their chest from a legislation point, standpoint saying we're doing this for the consumer? Is the consumer truly in control these days? Well, I think the good news there is that you can be in control, but it takes work. Um, okay. So so the way that, that, that you know people can find experience and communicate with brands um, has changed to a degree where they can control those factors, right? Um, when it comes to privacy, though, we see studies from Pew and others that, that you guys, of course, have all mm -hmm. read that says consumers want to be able to choose how their data essentially is used. Sure. Um, but when I talk to brands, and in fact, um, I was talking to a CMO of a brand in California, but, you know, where they're already starting to uh, obviously um, adhere to all these uh, all this yeah. compliance stuff. Um, they have databases, particular brand has databases, tens of millions of people in it. And they say statistically, almost 0% have requested any information from the brand <laughs> or asked to be removed from the database. Now, so just because I have the ability and, and the legal right to request my data, 
um, doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Sure. So, so let's let's start there for a second. Back to what I said about human behavior. Yep. Changing human behavior is hard, right? So, um, um, on the other hand, if I do ask you as a brand for that information, you you better have it. You better be able to give it to me and share that information in a way that that legally that you yeah, have compliance. To. So so one CEO told me behind closed doors. Um, that out of the millions and millions of of, um, uh, of people they have in their database, only a few dozen have requested any of this wow. information. And he said, and then when they looked at those requests, he literally said, and we realized that m most of these are the kind of people that wear aluminum foil on their heads because they don't want the aliens reading their, <laughs> reading their thoughts. Because yeah. um, there was some really just bizarre kind of stuff that, that they communicated. Yeah. So, so I know it's early in the process and that, that's going to change, you know, with the laws changing it, the, the more, um, you know, like I, I like to say marketing got us into this problem. Marketing is going to get us out of it. Right. So, um, from a marketing standpoint, um, there's going to be, you know, consumer privacy groups and, and others that are going to, that are going to and, and the media, of course, is going to be writing more and more about this. So as consumers become more aware of it, um, they'll start to take they'll start to take those actions that they're not quite taking just yet. Got it. Um, and uh, and then there's some some brands like um, again using using marketing to to get ahead of it, which is smart. And, and and create even sort of fun ways to tell consumers about um, what they do with their data and and what the rights now the consumers have to, to understand that there's a, a channel four in uh, in the UK for example did a fun little video yep. you shared that with me it was very right cool. right so we'll, po we'll post that uh, here in the link and on our blog so you can actually it's a really great two-minute video so 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 again ironically using marketing to kind of address the problem and 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 uh which i think is the way to do it um but you know if you make it if you make it difficult for a consumer to take any kind of action you know you know whether i'm trying to sell them this or, or whatever they're not going to do it right um so it's you know they traded years ago for convenience their data yeah and you know that's what the internet did is obviously it's like it's more convenient me to do it this way. I'm going to do it. Um, so now to kind of dig out of that, uh, dig out of that is, yeah. uh, again, we're, we're asking them to do something that they typically haven't done. So. Got it. Cool. Um, all right. I want to change into some more fun topics since, uh, okay. if anybody's still hanging on to the podcast right now, they got their lessons of the day and we certainly have more, but let's dig in some fun things. You know, you're an interesting cat in the fact that, um, you founded a beer company called Dive Bar Beer. And what I loved about it is right on the can, it says, this is the beer your dad drank after mowing the lawn. And like that image in my head from an East Coaster Philly boy, like hot summer day, I can totally see it. And as I was a 12 year old kid, I was like, I don't know what that is, but that looks delicious. So, but tell me why, because you didn't start a beer brand to become a billionaire in, no. in Lickle. I mean, it's a great story. So you know, I, I think this is an inspirational story from a marketing perspective of having some fun. Like it's experiential marketing one-on-one to me, but explain why you created Dive Bar Beer and what it's all about. Well, I, I tell you why. I mean, it, at the top of this, we talked about change, right? And change is opportunity. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, living in Denver for as long as I have uh, and, and watching what would happen with craft beer and then traveling around the country and around the world as much as I do, I just became fascinated in, in, in like the rise of craft beer. And so, at one point, I, I would ask bartenders, I said, what's the number one question people ask you about craft beer? 
and the first year or so they said what's your best local craft beer and then i was like yeah that makes sense okay. so they're selling a lot of local craft beers and then i come around you know ultimately to that bar um a year later and i'd say what's the number one question they're asking you and he's and, and he or she would say what's the lightest craft beer you have mm. because there was because I could tell the palates were starting to get burnt out on on the heavier, hoppier beers, right, for one. Um, secondly, I realized that the story of craft beer really is the kind of beer your dad drank after he mowed the lawn. All those beers that we know today, you know, that, that we call dive bar beers, the PBRs, the Schlitz and all Schlitz. that. These were hardworking families that came over from Germany and other yeah, places man. and started that. They were the first craft beers. So we decided we wanted to be the anti-craft beer, craft beer. Um, for that taste profile, but more importantly, you know, we've known each other for a long time. That punk rock guy in yeah, me yeah. was like, you know what? Craft beer is becoming pretentious. Uh, people are sniffing their beer. Bartenders oh. are making you feel like an ass because you don't understand the difference yeah. between an IPA. Especially here in Colorado where there's like a thousand of 400, them. dude. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's so, overload. So we're, so we're, uh, you know, we're, right now we're in the process of actually moving dive bar beer from Denver to uh, Memphis, um, which is a city I fell in love with a few years ago, producing music, helping to produce a music festival there for the last three years. Um, and whereas Memphis is, they're just they're just starting to really enjoy the, the the craft beer movement, and I think there's less than ten craft breweries there. Cool, four hundred here. So, um, and uh, it's you know it's a hardworking blue collar city. So, uh, and yep. it's a great music city, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that's 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 why I got into the beer thing. So cool. It's it's great if you can find it. Dive Bar Beer on Instagram is a great one. Um, in fact, I'm gonna segue right here. Um, you've been around the block. You and I have been around the globe together. We've slept in the same, not even hotel room, probably slept in the same bed a couple of times here and there. Um, there's plenty of stories to be had there, but, uh, because you travel so much and our brand marketers and our clients are always traveling to large cities, New York, Chicago, LA, et cetera. Top three dive bars right now. Name them. Top three dive bars. I, and I bet I know, I bet I know, I'm going to write this down. Okay. Hmm. I bet I know. Um, at least one of them. Go ahead. Well, I'll tell you a surprising one. Uh, Jimmy's Corner. Ah, I just wrote Jimmy's <laughs> in New York City. Jimmy's in New York City. Yeah, That's yeah. where you can find Tom when he's in yeah. New York. It's true. Uh, it's 44th and 7th. It's the heart of Times yeah. Square. It makes no sense that this bar still exists. Um, and it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so I started going in there, who knows, 20 years ago or so. And you're right. Every time... And I'm in New York a lot. Yeah. I have to stop. If you're by looking Jimmy's. for Tom, you look yeah. at Jimmy first. Yeah, and 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 like any great dive bar, as, as much as the world around it has changed, it has not. And uh, and including the sign in there that says, uh, "Let's not discuss politics here." Uh, <laughs> and the TVs, Jimmy has only put the TV on I think three times. I was told uh, over the years the, vol <laughs> the volume on the TV, uh, Kentucky Derby, and Super Bowl, and something else. Um, so Jimmy's Corner. Uh, so. We'll stick to U.S. time for us, I guess. Uh, yeah, let's just stick to okay. U.S. Chicago, right. Rossi's, R-O-S-S-I. Ah, uh, I'm looking at it right here on my map. <laughs> That's a me. joke. Jeez. That is a total joke. That's literally uh, what I'm looking at. It's like three blocks from Leo Burnett's office. It is definitely my favorite dive bar. It has a great broken dart machine. It has a huge wall of coolers. You can go in and just buy singles of any kind of beer. Um, all right. So, wow, I'm two for two here. And I swear to the Lord on my kids' names, yeah. we did not plan this. 
And it's yeah. right over the bridge from Leo Burnett. Yeah, so. it's right across the bridge. Yeah. And it stays open super late. And are they cash only? I think they're cash only. Well, great dive bars are cash yeah, only. Of course. Only. Uh, speaking of cash only, oh. uh, my third one's going to be Hanano's in Venice. Ah, uh, Washington Boulevard at the beach. Okay, yep. Peanuts uh, on the on the floor, gotta, two pool tables. Yep. yep. The coldest right. beer in LA, I think. It's, uh, again, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it a dive bar. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, great burgers. I'm told I'm a vegetarian. So the best burger I ever had actually was a veggie burger there because yeah. they cooked it on all that meat, <laughs> uh, that meat gr soaked grill. But um, uh, Hinano's, again, I, I like it because it doesn't make sense that it still exists. Um, no booze. Uh, just beer. Yeah, just beer. That's yeah. right. And uh, so, um, and only cash. Um, and they have great bands that show up in there, like like Billy Idol, who I know you know. Yeah, uh, his yeah. his guys from his band come in yeah, and jam yeah, yeah, there yeah. and stuff. Yep, so yep. it's a. Uh, I'd start with those three and, and uh, you know, I'd give you a lot more. That is definitely, yeah, I'm sure you and I could go down a list as long as our arms. Um, okay, cool. What are the top three things? What top three events? I know you're way into music. Uh, all kinds of things you produce, uh, you co-produce the, uh, it's the Memfo Fest, right? Yeah. In Memphis. Mm. Um, what are you most looking forward to in 2020 from like an event perspective? It, well, you know, from, from a business standpoint, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the New York Auto Show next. Um, you know, hmm. it, the, the, I try to go to the LA and the New York one every year on, on, the, on the media days or press days, whatever they call it. And, uh, because you can get some really great insight directly from CMOs and from, you know, the other, the other people responsible for marketing the cars. But, you know, as a, as a kind of a car guy, it's also cool for me to see how they're adapting to, you know, electric and the different consumer needs yeah. and this whole mobility thing is so huge. So, um, so I'm looking forward to New York auto show this year. Okay, cool. Um, CES just happened. You were at CES yep. and you're there every year. I didn't go this year, but um, what was your, what was your, what was the coolest thing that came out of that? Um, the coolest thing was I didn't even visit the floor this year. So I spent so much quality time, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the brands have these private suites and things. Yep. So, um, uh, at a great meeting, for example, with Comcast, where they showed me some things that they're developing. Um, you know, we talked a lot about OTT and we talked about how, how those platforms are, been, are, are changing and things like that. So, um, Vizio always is Vizio yeah. is an amazing brand. They're doing some incredible things. Um, they also have, uh, I, I think, the, the best food at their parties: lobster, <laughs> lobster tails. That's good to know, because yeah. yeah, when you have to choose what to do and what party to go to, you gotta know that stuff. No, no. So CES is good. I, I mean, CES is a great place to go. For me, I like to be inspired. I usually speak at it every year. This is the first year I didn't speak at it in, in the last six, seven years or whatever, um, which was nice. Um, so to me, it's just I go there to be inspired to you know yeah. to, to 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 meet people that I typically wouldn't meet from other places around the world and to um, and to learn about obviously what's next. Yeah, cool. Um, any closing thoughts? You know, you want to talk about your new gig? You took a new gig, right? You and I didn't even get to talk about this, but after we turn off the cameras, we'll go have some beers and figure it out. What, what are you yeah, up, what are you yeah. up to? Yeah, very close, very close to. Uh, to to uh, taking a new gig with a division of Hearst Television, I, I uh, shamelessly plugged it earlier. It's Lit and um, yep. so uh, Lit and Entertainment, which uh, you know makes TV shows, cool. and uh, and uh, you know so there's a lot of reasons to be excited about being part of the Hearst family. And the story of Lit and Entertainment is, is amazing. Cool. And uh, so I so uh, you know I look forward to you know kind of last few years I've spent more more time on the content side than on the brand strategy and creative side. Yep. So all right. And um, Sprocket NAB this year? 
Yeah, Sprocket. Uh, I was just at a you know Sprocket event in LA, which is at NBC Universal. So um, you know Sprocket. Uh, dot com now we finally own sprocket.com so and we could talk about that and so, that's s-p-r-o-c-k-i-t that's dot correct com. it's not et it's it sprocket it, sprocket which is a, a amazing you know marketplace for innovation yeah i mean i, I was a, i was a, we were a partner there if uh, if you're at all into the content space and technology space around content from distribution television broadcast you know multimedia um, the NAB Sprocket booth every year is, is an amazing place. I was a big part of that, and um, um, our company yeah, was, was involved in that. Thousands of square feet now. So, oh, yeah, giant. At, at uh, NAB, yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, how can people find you? I, I, I follow you through Instagram when you're cruising around the dive bars. Yeah, I mean, I think I think LinkedIn is the best way yeah. to connect with me. And uh, um and and by by the way, you know, I love I love the idea. I love the name Thinking Caps. I oh, love, thanks. Thanks a, for wearing your Thinking Caps. Well, as a, as a bald guy, I, it's great. I get to wear a hat. <laughs> well, we have a closet full of caps in oh, case yeah, okay. so, somebody shows up uh, without one. So I always have one. We're always prepared. Cool. Well, this has been a great pleasure. First guest on Thinking Caps has been Tom Flanagan, uh, a brand marketer, a content guy, a real visionary guy. Um, you can always find us on cheetahdigital.com. You can find us soon on iTunes if you didn't already find us there. Always check out our podcasts um, on Podbean and uh, follow us all on LinkedIn. Tom Flanagan, appreciate you having on, man. We'll have you again soon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. See, all right. See you guys.